0: Hi, and welcome to Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, my guest today is someone I've been following for a while on Instagram, an activist of sort, I think you might say. Lee, would you like to expand on that?
1: Absolutely. Um, hi to everybody who's listening. My name's Lee, and um, I'm actually the owner, founder of an Instagram platform and website called The Redirectory, um, which I'm building with a community of amazing small brands and businesses to uh, be a modern day yellow pages for people who are wanting to support small and find truly transparent and ethical businesses who are really focused on making a difference and putting planet and people right at the top of the agenda in everything that they do
0: now this sounds like something that is pretty much as on point for the day as it can be (laughs)
1: it's yeah I think um I actually started to think about it three years ago this has been something that I've wanted to do for a long time and we launched last year um there's a bit of a backstory to it but um I was in the retail industry for about 20 years um in buying I'm actually a specialist in footwear so I can break you down a shoe in about 20 seconds and tell you every single component that's in there (laughs) but um I got increasingly dissatisfied with what I was seeing within the industry. And um, probably the last five or six years, I started to become mildly disruptive within my um, roles within businesses, um, saying no a lot to a lot of the things that they wanted to do because I didn't necessarily um, believe with the direction and I could see the damage that it could create over the long term. Um, And it culminated in me, um, actually starting the platform last year and I wanted to specifically focus on small businesses um, one because they're so genius at what they do I mean I could wax on about them all day but two I know so many people who are in the larger retail industry who want to make a living and do things right outside of the big businesses that I wanted to create a platform that could support them And celebrate what they do and actually show people there is a different way to live and it's not necessarily about buying loads of stuff uh, because we all know that we've got lots of stuff in this in this world let's face it but it's about making better decisions supporting the right people um, and actually understanding the true reality of the industry because a lot not a lot of people really understand exactly what the inner workings of the retail industry at large are and I wanted to shine a light on that to show, actually, we can do better and we should support better.
0: Now, I'm a bit interested in, you said you were in the retail industry and that made you increasingly dissatisfied. Sort of what type level of retail industry, industry were you in?
1: So I worked um, for big UK high street brands. So I worked for Clark's Shoes. Uh, which is where I started my training, and they are an amazing business. Um, I worked for Marks & Spencers, and then I also worked for some other larger retailers, including Debenhams on the UK High Street, and different businesses do things differently, and um, I would say the last, like I say, six years, I started to get mildly disruptive because what you could see is when I started out within my career, there was definitely less competition. Fast fashion wasn't the big monster that it is these days. And so you you did genuinely have a culture of businesses trying to segment themselves effectively and do things properly. However, as you saw the rise of fast fashion and you saw the market devolve just into price competition and who could get their cheapest, fastest, um, and with the biggest amount of volume to win the prize of market leader, you saw everybody else start to, even if they didn't necessarily operate in fast fashion, they started to get swept up in it. And they started to go, "Oh, actually, if we want to you know, retain our market position, we need to be quicker. We need to get things out there faster than our competitors. We need to be price checking versus these other people. And what you found was over time, a lot of decisions were based on what other brands were doing and not necessarily focusing on what that business should be doing, which then led to what I would say are not great decisions being made at all. So it would be a case of, okay, if we've got a t-shirt if our t-shirt is 12 pounds or 15 pounds somebody else is doing a 3 pound t-shirt well we can't do a 3 pound t-shirt but let's see if we can do a 6 pound t-shirt and that's half off what we normally do and then we can market it loads and we can shift a load of volume and it just became a focus on price and volume rather than product and consumer and i just fundamentally disagree with that um and it got to the point where you would see that because the market was changing so rapidly and the products out there were increasing and people were trying to create newness when there was no need to. So therefore, they were just creating tut. That's the only way I can describe it. It was literally tut. Um you would see it come through in the samples that were coming through and then the samples would get dismissed very quickly. So throughout the entire process, you would see more waste. So even before it got to the shop floor, you would see piles of samples just disregarded in a head office because management were constantly asking you to develop the next best thing. And they'd see a catwalk and say, Oh, do something like so-and-so designer. Um, But because the market moved so quickly, they moved on quickly. Um, So I decided to say no quite a lot. And at that point, I was in a fairly senior position within my last uh, role. And I just decided that I'd had enough. Um, Funnily enough, at that point, the pandemic hit and the world basically fell apart for retail anyway. (laughs) So it was kind of, in a way, a bit serendipitous, i.e., Everything just collided and happened at once. Um, I actually was made redundant at that point And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going back to this. I don't want to be part of it. And I also actually don't want to fight against it within the larger retailers. What I want to do is show people how to make better choices and for them to understand more about the industry and give them Real facts about how can, they can do things better, and give them options for businesses to support instead.
0: We'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, but you're saying that the when fast fashion sort of came on the scene, they instigated this uh, dash towards the bottom, or and everyone else just piled on.
1: Absolutely, it, it's it's been a really interesting journey because you, I've been very fortunate to work for some real UK high street heritage brands who have always been kind of stalwarts of the high street, but have always prided themselves on quality product. And to see a business that was so assured within their own position to then very quickly shift their emphasis away from doing what was right for their brand to watching what every other brand was doing You could see how it's very, very easy for all these businesses to take their eye off the ball and make bad decisions overall, one for the business, but two for customers and the people and the planet. And it happens and people don't even realize it. So it happens through the marketing that people do. So when large businesses see other companies increasing their marketing campaign activity it then makes them switch on to what they should be doing and if they should be chasing that same thing if there's a big price message that goes out all over bus stops which is something that happens very regularly in the UK it's you know you can get two of these things for 10 pounds or something they would see that and say okay we need to be doing more of that because they genuinely think that the only way that they can have any kind of dominant market position and deliver the profit that they believe they need to is to chase the profit at the lowest cost possible because other people are doing it
0: that's quite baffling really i mean do they have absolutely no confidence in what they're doing
1: it's i think it's a combination of things so um it's one of the topics that i really over time want to get more and more into on the redirectory but What you have with large businesses is a very big disconnect between the top level of management and the shareholders and the investors, the senior management, and then the people who actually keep the company running, i.e. the engine room, the buyers, the designers, the technologists, the merchandisers. So what will normally happen is that, you know, the top, top management, they will have the report on the financial figures. They'll also be looking at the market, in relation to what's happening within the business which they invest or own and they will say well why are those people stealing a march on us why is their market position increased why is their volume within the market gone up so much and the business is then forced to react because they don't want to lose their market position what then happens is they might have objectives from senior management of, okay, we want to deliver this in terms of products. We want to deliver this in terms of profit. We want to deliver this in terms of um, social and environmental um, care. That will all get thrown out of the window as soon as they are told that they need to deliver a different level of profit to re-ascertain their market position or re their market position, sorry. And what will then happen is, That piece of information will get funneled down to the product teams who will get told to just deliver newness, newness, newness and get it out as quickly as possible. And these are your new margin targets, and this is how quickly you need to deliver it. And we need it by this day, and it needs to be applied to this total of the range. Go and do it. So, All of the levels within a large business, although connected by a financial profit, are completely disconnected in terms of how they will want to achieve it. Because, and this is definitely a bugbear of mine, um, within businesses, there are so many talented people. They tend to be the ones who are the doers every day. So it's the creatives, it's the buyers, it's the merchandisers. You go to those next levels um, above what I would say a buying manager, so above that to heads off. Everything is driven by the financial bottom line. And you can have these incredibly talented teams who want to make product better and are on a mission to find better materials um, and create product that's got less waste and create product that's bang on fit for the consumer but they will always be overruled by senior management and a profit driven objective, because at the end of the day, they're there to deliver to the role that they've been asked to do. And that is to deliver the profit.
0: I can totally relate to why you quit. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds awful.
1: It, it is. And I, I'm not trying to ham it up because, you know, in many ways, um, my experience has afforded me the opportunity to then create this platform, um, But I was very lucky because I've worked in some great businesses, but then I've also learned about some not great elements whilst I've been working within those businesses. I've worked within teams that have got bucket loads of talent and integrity. But I've also then been and seen the management decisions and the decision-making process that goes from the top down and seen how disconnected that is and how it doesn't work. It fundamentally doesn't work and that's why i support small over everything else because whichever way you look at it and i've spent a long time doing this trying to work out how we can create a rationale or a justification for how some of these businesses operate when you're talking about ethics and sustainability i do kind of hate that word at the moment sustainability but for want of a better phrase. Everything is driven by a profit line. Everything. And everything will get overruled if profits are in danger. And you see that decision being made daily.
0: So after this period, you went and looked at small companies. Where is their advantage?
1: I mean, where do we start? Um I literally could wax on about small businesses all day long. I think there's so many facets to um a small business that people really don't understand or necessarily account for. I think they see these small businesses as, you know, little cottage industries and somebody ferreting away in their in their home studio they are savvy. They are multitaskers to the extreme. They are inherently lean because small businesses don't have the profit margins or the financial backing to make anything other than cost effective decisions. But they do it when they're an ethical business by never sacrificing the main objective of focusing on what their impact is from an environmental and social perspective. So you see these small businesses and they will not overorder because they don't guarantee, they can't guarantee that they can sell it, and that's a waste of their material. But it's also then a waste of their time if they're making it, and that time is money. It's also a waste of a wage um, because if they are paying somebody to manufacture for them and then they don't sell it, that's again a loss. What small businesses also consider is this is something that's got to be steady because they're trying to earn an income from it. But they also then understand that if they're trying to earn an income from it, the people who they collaborate with are. So they are intentionally mindful of how they produce their workload. And the one thing that I have always seen with these people is they will say, "Okay, I want to start small, understand learn what the demand is for, and then grow a little bit more so that I can then provide a steady workload to whoever I work with instead of dipping in and out. Because let's face it, if you employ somebody and then all of a sudden can't employ them because you've over-egged it, that person is then left in the lurch as well. So small businesses don't do that. The other thing is they're incredibly innovative with their designs. Um, one of my Biggest things that grinds my gears about retail industry at large is the sheer amount of duplication that's out there. It's basically high streets of Me Too product. And I know I did a post on it on the redirectory recently, but for people to understand who actually owns the shops on the high street that they think are independent when they're actually not and to understand that they're all part of the same large holding groups, all delivering to the same objectives. Um, What that then does is create a situation where each of those brands within the holding groups looks at what the other brand is doing, um, sees if something's selling well, and delivers their version of it, which is then just another version of the same thing on the high street. So when you actually look in shops these days, all you have is 55 versions of the same thing again and again and again and again. With a small business, they are passionate about their own identity and the creativity and their input into making something that's fit for purpose for who's going to buy it. So you find that they are incredibly innovative. They are not wasteful with their materials. Um, They focus on differentiation, and they also collaborate rather than compete. They're basically the exact opposite of the broken system of volume fashion. That's why I love them.
0: Okay. Well, oh, fair enough, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> they do sound rather wonderful when you put it like that.
1: And they're wonderful people. That, that's the crazy, amazing thing about it. Every single one of them who I speak to, they have a story as to why they've started their business and they have a set of values that they never sway from never. And you can see them making decisions that actually, if they chose to make the decision one way, it could probably make them more money more quickly. And they don't do it. Because they say, no, actually, that's not what my brand is about. It's about growing steadily. And it's not about being dominant in a market. It's about being part of a collaborative community who support one another. It's, again, the exact opposite. Of large scale
0: retail. Hmm. I tend to talk about uh, heart versus spreadsheet, left brain versus right brain type thing, because none of the companies I sort of have any interest in are the sort of spreadsheet companies where you can tell that that is what they're run by and good firm look at the margins to make sure that they're operating well. And uh, I'm often surprised though at small companies, tiny companies, say one person, two people, I mean, how do they find time for everything?
1: Um, Genuinely, I don't know. (laughs) I'm just trying to work that out. So I I don't sell products, but I obviously engage with so many small businesses. They're all heroes in my eyes because They do every single department's work that you would have in a large retail business. They take it all in themselves. So they are designers, um, social media experts, logistics, purchasing, admin, you know, tax forms. I I literally can't. The tax actually scares me. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, You know, they are the cost um, analysis experts experts. They are the customer services. They are the customer focus experts. They do it all. And these people also generally um, have busy lives outside of it. And what you will also find as well, because small businesses are struggling, it's it's the reality of it because there's so much competition out there and it's really, really hard to have, have a voice and for it to be heard they will often be doing this alongside other jobs, whether it be freelance work, or, you know, part time, or even full time, a lot of the brands and businesses who I work with at the moment, they're working between three and five days a week, as well as doing their own business. So this is, you know, early starts in the morning, late into the evening, weekends, but they're building something. So they're, they're committing to it. But in a direct answer to your question, how do they do it? I genuinely don't know um, because, you know, you were saying that you work and I, I work as well. I'm f- I work four days a week normally um, alongside doing the redirect rate and the workload is insane. It, the social media on its own, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, and you can spend so long um, going through, presenting yourself in the correct way on your platform, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But at the same time, you've got a ton of emails. You're trying to get back to everybody. At the redirectory, um, I independently assess every single business that goes on there. So each business has a set of questions that they have to answer that's relevant to their specific industry business model. So I have to assess them all, um, go through all of that. And I don't even make products. So... That's why I want to shout so hard for them, because they are truly the most efficient people in terms of how they manage their time, but they are hard working, but they're doing it for an amazing reason. And if we have a choice, a financial choice where we can make a better decision, they are absolutely the one that we should go for.
0: I noticed when you were listing up what small businesses have to do, you didn't mention making. Are oh, most most of them not making their own things? They're ordering it in from other makers. Did
1: I say creating? I don't know whether I did. Sorry. I did I did mean to say making. Um,
0: it's too late now. You've I know. It to, you have don't. to go with that.
1: <laughs> I'm going to have so many brands who are like, why did you not say that? Um, no, designer makers, creators, creators. Um, they do everything. Most of the businesses that are on the tree, they um they either make themselves or they are working with local communities. I have a few who are working with factories as well. So that's been a really interesting area to explore because obviously we know within the fashion industry that it's a very opaque supply chain. And there's, it's very, very easy to lose visibility of what you're doing. But I'm really proud to say that the businesses who are on the platform who do work with factories, um, they are so transparent about what they do. I have all the audits, um, and I ask for those as well. I ask for the certifications. um, And the really, really great thing about it is they all choose to partner, and they are fully aware of who they're partnering with, which is what we want.
0: You mentioned that the small companies have very transparent supply chains from your time in the sort of large industry. Now, they claim to be very transparent. You're shaking your head now. It's not, not, I'm not hearing it, but.
1: (laughs) So in large scale retail, there there is a want to be transparent for the sake of marketing and being able to market yourselves as a business who is sustainable in inverted commas Um, would it be a priority if it wasn't a competitive advantage in the market absolutely not there's so many reasons why one of the key things is the sheer volume of product that these businesses are working with it is absolutely impossible to gain the transparency and visibility throughout the supply chain of all of the componentry and materials that they're using because their sourcing is so vast. They are dealing with multi-product categories across so many different territories. Um, They there's many different ways to source um, across clothing and accessories, and you can choose to go through nominated mills and nominated suppliers, and you can get a certain level of accreditation through there. But what you also find with uh, the fast fashion element specifically is that they will go and it's like different now because of the pandemic, but what they do is they get their factory teams to actually go out and get this for them now, but they will go to markets. So, Out over in China and Indonesia and Vietnam, there are these huge fabric markets, huge componentry markets, and you can walk around and you can pick swatches from little stalls. They are, you know, just tiny bits of fabric swatches from thousands upon thousands of suppliers. I'm talking, there are so many. And they will go and they'll go, oh, I really like the look of this. I really like the look of that. And then they'll go back to the factory and go, I want to use this where's the testing? Where's the um, breakdown of what the materials are? Where's the mill? What is the actual cost? How does it get there? None of that is actually checked. And then what happens is those design and buy-in teams ask for samples to be made up. And it's only then when it gets back to um, the actual head office that they will ask for industry-level testing. Yep, so um, those swatches, they could be from anywhere, literally, and what would happen is the the, um, sample room in a factory would order a sample length of that material make up the garment or the accessory, send it back. It's only when it would then get back to head office and they would decide whether or not they liked it that they would then initiate standard industry testing on it. So depending upon uh, which category you're working into, there's uh, specific labs and specific legislation that you would need to adhere to. So they would focus on that. But at that point, the actual transparency behind the materials has completely gone. And because of the speed at which they are trying to push it out onto the market, guess what gets sacrificed? The time to investigate what these materials are, what goes into it, how it's produced, what the processes are, what the waste is, what the impact is. It all goes out the window because that is weeks upon weeks upon weeks of research when they could actually be getting that product out onto market. And it's just the complete reverse with a small business. They would do their research beforehand they would strategically choose their materials, check the accreditation, buy from mills, speak to the people in person and buy a small amount and know that it was the right material to use. Whereas in large scale t- retail, it's OK, that looks nice. That's what I want to have out there. OK, um, let's hope it passed the tests. Boom, done.
0: I do often wonder whether it's the speed of that industry that lets them get away with so many things i mean another aspect of it is how they copy designs and i imagine that by the time that design is in the shops and someone notices it and instigates something legal then they'll say oh yeah sorry about that they're all sold now um nothing we can do
1: you've hit the nail on the head um Number one, it's a never-ending cycle. So you, um, as a team, you're asked to constantly monitor the market competition, understand what's coming in from a luxury perspective to understand what the overall trends might be. Interpret those. And I say that in inverted commas, because there's always, if you speak to anybody that's been in retail, they'll say, if you had a pound for every time somebody said, can you do me a version of this? Um, And... They want it to look exactly like their recognisable one, but they want it to have enough differences in it that from a legal perspective, um, there would be no recourse. Um, But they they want Me Too products because the speed at which you're asked to develop, there is no time for creativity. There is no time to sit back and think. It's a just do it mentality. Um, I don't mean to actually steal the... Nike phrase there for anybody who's watching it uh, listening to it but it is just do it get it out there get it sorted um and the only way that you can escape that is by not being in those businesses that are on that hamster wheel and there are some there are some good ones
0: mm, i can remember years ago my cousin who was working for a large menswear brand in the manchester area um doing shoe designs and he mm-hmm. uh, he always had sort of ten pairs of each style of shoe in his home, because when they wanted, say, a pair of brogues, he'd go out and buy ten pairs of brogues, and then make <laughs> their pair based on these. It's which so was, true. Of course, not uh, really very creative. I also remember hearing last year about um, high-end British menswear brands Savile Row affiliated, I think who had a sample jacket in at a British uh, factory, and they wanted it made in yellow. And their sample was a French jacket, still with the label attached, from a very well-known French workwear brand. But they just wanted that jacket in yellow, and that was their design.
1: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, though. That's the thing. It's It's been, I think it's been a kind of unspoken subjects within retail for a very long time and what you'll find is a lot of the people who have decided to move away from the industry that's one of the things particularly on the design side and the creative maker side they didn't want to be part of that they you know these people are incredibly talented they didn't get to where they'd got to by just not being able to have an imagination and not being able to apply themselves to create exquisite design it's not their fault that the businesses that they worked within, Couldn't recognize that. But the problem has been that the UK high street or the high streets, you know, globally, they dominate the employment within retail industry. And that's what we want to shift the needle on. That's why we want to focus on small businesses, because there's all this talent out there that's just not being used. You know, if you're sat there as a designer and a maker and you're being told, I just want a version of that well-known brand, that's soul-destroying absolutely soul destroying and it is um, disrespectful to the amount of years that they've put into training themselves and being so diligent in what they do so quite rightly they want to create a brand that you know talks of what they do and you know shines a spotlight on their skills and creativity we just need somewhere where everybody can find them and we can talk about them and be proud about you know the skills that we hold within our countries within the retail industry
0: Now, there's one thing about smaller brands I often notice, and that's, yep, they make super nice things from super nice fabrics, excellent designs and all this, but are they going to sort of win customers from other companies who make really, really cheap things? Are you seeing that people will actually appreciate what they're making and are willing to pay for it?
1: I think there's kind of two points within it. I think um, absolutely. I'm seeing a shift over from the work that I do on the redirectory, which is a really, really positive thing. And even today, I've had quite a few messages of people who um, have found the platform and have learned more about the retail industry at large and discovered these amazing businesses. And because they have the disposable income that allows them to make a better choice and we're showing them the options, they're actually then choosing to make that decision and make it a better one which is amazing. Um, So I know it can work. I absolutely know. And I have true conviction in that we just have to show people the options, give them a space to find them really easily and talk to them constantly about them because it's a drumbeat. It's so that they remember that there are those options out there because, you know, remember on the flip side, all we hear is marketing constantly from retailers trying to get our money. That's what social media does. That's what TV does. That's what magazines do. It's just the way it is. To your With your question as well about will people who buy cheaper clothes want to necessarily convert, I think that there's two scenarios within that. You've got people who don't have high levels of disposable income who will not be able to buy into some of these brands because of the fact that within these brands – we are seeing the true cost of real product. And so the price points are higher. And the high street and fast fashion has distorted our sense of value. But irrespective of how much it's been distorted, if you can't afford something, you're never going to buy it anyway, unless we get into a whole credit debate, and that's just absolutely crazy. But there is a significant proportion, the larger proportion of fast fashion buyers who have a significant disposable income that just like to buy lots of stuff. Absolutely bucket loads of it. And they're the people who, one, help to support a system that's built upon exploitation. Whether they realise that or not, we have to accept that. It is not the individual's responsibility to fix the business, but it is our individual responsibility to watch how much we consume because we just churning it in and spitting it out as as consumers it's absolutely insane um but if they are the ones that we can speak to and we can communicate in a way that shows them that their money could be put to better use and to slow just slow down slow down I think you know people always talk about what can I do I don't have enough money to buy these things you genuinely don't need to buy anything. You can just stop buying for a little bit and the impact that you make is way bigger than you could ever imagine. But it is about targeting those people and saying these 10 things that you might buy from Zara or wherever. I always pick up Zara because I just do. I hate Zara. <laughs> I used to love Zara, but I well, hate they, it. They well, are the that. original. They are. I mean, you know, they are the richest fast fashion um retailer out there you know Inditex is huge they are masters at what they do but they also absolve themselves of accountability and they mark their own homework to an extreme level you know it's very easy to tick all the boxes on your goals when you've set all the goals for yourself you know if you were a kid you'd be like well hey check me out i've got the best grades that's basically what these businesses do but you know we can't ever put the accountability on the individual who needs to buy you know, these lower price point um, pieces because they can't afford to do anything else. Absolutely not. This is about the wider population who have money and just choose to buy a lot of stuff. And it's about getting them to engage and to slow down and to take it step by step because, you know, we've just become so fixated on you know consuming and seeing this new in and if i see one more quilted liner jacket on social media for women or men i'm gonna scream because they're just everywhere and it's like new in new in and it's like these things have been going for centuries come on stop it
0: they're also total garbage
1: they are (laughs) With a
0: a nylon outer and uh, polyester fibres, and uh, well, yeah. Um, Now you were mentioning about marketing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about marketing and how it influences us, and how people beat themselves up about buying stuff, and the influence of marketing. I mean, we don't. Most people don't tend to realise or think about how what a huge scientific apparatus is at work to make us buy stuff so beating yourself up for succumbing to the pressure and buying what say a quilted jacket or something like that <laughs> which probably wasn't uh, something you felt you needed or desired or had even thought about until this avalanche of marketing told you that that is definitely what you need today how do you think about that
1: um I have a love-hate relationship with marketing because obviously as part of what I do on the Redirectory, I want to shout about amazing businesses. So essentially I'm marketing them. Um, But people need to understand the huge sums of money that are put into marketing to get you to, or to seduce you into believing that you need that item. And they put that much money in because um, they realize that the communications need to be constant. So, you know, for anybody that subscribes to emails from different companies, you'll see that, you know, the pace at which they come through is definitely accelerated. It definitely did over the course of the pandemic as well. You'll see um, the amount of ad and influencer pieces that um, are all over social media have definitely increased. Because they realize that they have to constantly bombard you um, in order for it to just sink into your mind. And the more you see something, the more you go, oh, hang on a minute. I've seen that here, there, and everywhere. Oh, I've seen that on my favorite per my favorite influencer. Oh, I saw that in-, in Grazia. Oh, I saw it on a bus. You know, all these different places. And they go, Well, I must need it. And In order to get that much coverage and that much visibility, they are pushing hundreds of thousands a month into it. These are not small budgets. And it's quite right that you can get seduced by it. I think, you know, that's one of the things that I get a lot about in terms of questions on the redirectory. You know, what do you do? The only thing that I can say to anybody is, you know, take a minute, step back don't make a rush decision because at the end of the day we're, we're talking about the fashion industry. So I'll uh, apply it to clothes. You know, your world is not going to end if you don't get that specific coat, like honestly, because the system, you know, but people do think that it's a shock to them. They're like, you know, it's the newest denim shirt and it's got, you know, bells and whistles on it. And it's like, calm down because the fashion industry moves so quickly that Many things could happen. One is that you'll find it secondhand in about two months' time. And I actually did a test on this, I'll tell you about it. Um, Second thing is you'll realize that life goes on without that new shirt. You know, as much as you might think it's the only thing that's going to make you happy, life goes on if you take a minute and realize you've got about three of those versions or three. You might take a minute, really consider it and decide, actually, that is something that I really do want to invest in. But you will have invested in it knowingly and being in control of your purchasing decision. I think the guilt comes from people feeling out of control. Absolutely. Because they have got this adrenaline rush. It's been in the moment. You know what it's like. It's just that feeling of, oh my gosh, it's like first love for some people. It's like I've got, I've got to have it. It's, you know, the thing that's going to make my life so much better. And then they get it home and go, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. Because actually they know that they were completely out of control. So the more that we can empower people to be in control of their decisions, to just slow down and mentally take themselves through a process of decision making instead of impulse. The more we can kind of make them impervious to the marketing machine, you know.
0: Vaccinate them.
1: I mean, you just went straight in with a vaccination. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, though, you know, it's it is like a drug, and I think you know, people, you need to be armed in the modern world because the onslaught of um, influences that you have. I think I put something on uh, Instagram about, you know, every single day you are opened up to over 5,000 ads to buy something. I think it's a guy called Joshua Becker who said that. 5,000 ads without even knowing You know, that's insane. You can be scrolling through social media and you won't even realize that things are ads or affiliate links or, you know, sponsored posts that have been put in there. But as soon as you see it and it catches your eye, it goes into your memory and it's collected in a bank. And that's why we need to really, really just calm ourselves down a little bit and just step out of the hysteria. Just filter all this noise out. There's a woman who I really admire. She's a stylist, but she she says to everybody, just filter the noise because there's so much going on around you. Just take a step back, filter the noise, realize what you're looking at, why are you wanting to look at that, what's driving you, is it somebody else's influence or is it your own, and be in control a bit more.
0: Hmm. Now. Another thing I wanted to say about marketing – I know it sounds like I'm the guest, but I'm not – is how they they plant these ideas, not about buying stuff, but how the business works. Because I had someone I was talking to a while back who said that, uh, oh, we must make sure to buy plenty of fast fashion, because otherwise, how are the garment workers in Bangladesh going to survive? Now, where does something like that come from?
1: (laughs) I mean, who knows? Like genuinely, um, it's a common misconception within and there are a lot of these um, and it contributes greatly to greenwashing. Um, there are a lot of myths that go around that, you know, fast fashion supports workers. Um, and without their huge volumes, then all of these workers would be put out of business, you know, wouldn't have jobs and they'd all be starving and, you know, they wouldn't have another job. Just lies. It's just basic lies. So, if everybody casts their mind back to what happened in the pandemic and basically the world shut down, um, including retailers, what's the first thing that those retailers did? Um, instead of continuing to support the workers who had been tire- tirelessly making all of their products, they refused to pay for their orders. So, they, these aren't even just um, forward orders, these are orders that had been made. These were orders where materials had been bought. These were orders that were on the production line throughout the pandemic. They just chose to walk away and absolve all responsibility because that profit decision that we were talking about earlier from the management, from the shareholders and the company owners, they saw their sales go down. And the first thing that they wanted to do was mitigate any profit risk, which includes paying for goods. So they walked away. So if that doesn't demonstrate how little the industry supports their workers, I genuinely don't know what what else does. But the, the entire system is built upon the exploitation of the lack of legislation of an industry. So the fashion industry is one of the least legislated. So there are very few Regulations and laws that are enforceable. So everything is by choice. Um, and that's where the issues lie. And that's why there are so many amazing NGOs, organizations, activists who are com- campaigning for legislation within the fashion industry. Because without that, we continue to see the exploitation of workers, we can continue to see the overconsumption of resources and the use of incredibly bad materials, with no transparency. Um, it's not like in the food industry where there's a lot more regulation and the pharmaceutical industry, you know, they all have, you know, massive issues themselves, but at least there's a lot of legislation. Um, they don't have any of that. And because of the fact that from a wage perspective, they only have the minimum wages to go by in a lot of countries and there are not legally enforceable living wages. All of the companies then go, well, if it's not actually legal and there's nothing that we can do to enforce everybody to do it, then we just won't do it either. But we'll pay the legal wage, and that's where the issues are. So this this is a huge fundamental issue that people need to understand that businesses are exploiting the lack of structure within this industry, and that's what needs to change.
0: Mm. There was another point I wanted to make about um, uh, people are only able to afford fast fashion because they don't have the money. That strikes me that that's more a case of they don't have the resources because if they can afford fast fashion, they could probably also buy secondhand stuff, which... I granted a lot of people don't buy secondhand because they don't like the idea of someone having used it but it is a possibility of buying better secondhand for the same money but granted not everyone has the resources to go out and find stuff
1: yeah i think there's kind of two things so i you know i have some great examples near me where i've got um some neighbours who work in the hospitality industry and they have to wear specific um, clothes for going to work and they're not provided by the um, people that they work for and they don't have much money at all. And so they have to get their work clothes from a fast fashion retailer because they can't find the specific pieces that they need within secondhand when they need it. So it's absolutely right that, you know, they're buying these things for a purpose, but they are wearing them a lot. And they are doing it because they don't have any choice but to do that that is readily available to them. But I completely take your point as well that there are some people who might hide behind that when actually they could choose secondhand. And one of the things that I've seen quite a lot is um, – Sometimes the misunderstanding or the misrepresentation of how good secondhand can be or how terrible secondhand can be, because there's a lot of rubbish out there. There is an insane amount to sift through. And, you know, some people don't want to buy secondhand because they either like to buy new, it's just the way they are. And I meet people like that all the time.
0: It is a superior retail experience. I
1: mean, yeah. In in some in some ways it is, <laughs> um, or they they just can't find what they want, whether it's from a size perspective or a style perspective. Um, i have kind of hit and miss with um, secondhand, so I never used to buy it. Because I hated sifting through stuff, I have a very organised mind, and if I see lots of mess in front of me, I just can't compute it, and it actually makes me quite um, anxious. So I could never go into a charity shop, and it wasn't something that I grew up with. I grew up with a family who would buy new, but they made it last, and I had to look after everything um, to the nth degree. But it was never within you know me growing up to go to charity shops, but. I've realized that when you find people who are very, very good at it or you find your certain sources, buying secondhand and vintage can actually be so intensely rewarding. But you have to realize that if somebody's doing the work of sourcing it and curating it for you, you've got to pay for that. And that's some another hurdle that a lot of people haven't got over yet. They kind of go, well, it's secondhand, so it should be really cheap. It's like, yeah, but you've got this this person who has a business who has gone out sourced curated repaired presented it in the most amazing like created a regular retail experience for you but yet you still want to pay four pounds for it you have to go to a charity shop to do that you know being realistic Mm. so there's you know there's lots of different hurdles with it um but the best bit is when you find the sources for people that fit with what they want. Then you kind of see the magic happen and you see them switch on to the fact that there's a different way outside of the standard way of having to buy. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I get this now. It's brilliant. And it's like the switch flicks in their head. Once that switch is flicked, there's no going back.
0: Hmm. Now, uh, you mentioned that you'd run a test on how quickly things went from a fast fashion shop into the secondhand market.
1: Yes. So um, I get all the email, marketing emails from different retailers because I subscribe to them because I like to keep an eye on what's going on. (laughs) It's that whole thing of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Um, So I got an email through from H&M, saw a dress, really, really liked it, liked the design of it knew that it was a ripoff of a designer. I was like, oh, that's really, really nice. And I thought, I am impervious to this marketing. Um, I am going to use this as a test. But actually, I really want to see how quickly this dress comes out onto the secondhand market. So I had Depop, I had eBay, I had um, Vinted. I was going to say Vestia, it wasn't Vestia. And I put my searches on for it. Three weeks it took to turn up from being a new in on a H&M newsletter to being on eBay for a very drastically reduced price. I didn't buy it because at that point as well, the whole rush and the adrenaline of seeing a dress that I really, really liked and could never afford, you know, the real version of it just completely abated. But it was just very, very interesting to go through that process and see how quickly it gets into the secondhand market. And it can get there through a variety of ways. You know, it can be the fact that some people can't be bothered to send it back or they forget to send it back. A lot of the time, you will find that influencers will wear something and then they'll sell it on. It's just what they do. So you see it come into the market so quickly. And the whole point of what we need to do within this industry is to slow down the amount of new so if people can just take a minute and go, okay, I really, really like that, but realise that it's going to be around very, very quickly on the secondhand market and just wait and wait for the right moment, you'll find it. And if you don't find it, that want might have already gone anyway.
0: Plus it'll be out of fashion if it takes too long before it turns up secondhand, won't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, you know... The amount that things go in and out of fashion is insane, but I have this thing where I don't know whether it's just as you get older. I've realized that my wardrobe, the the most the hardest working things in my wardrobe are the classics that I go back to again and again and again. So it's your most worn-in, well-cut jeans. It is the best coat that kind of is fit for all conditions. It's the best shirt that you have. It's your favourite woolly jumper, that kind of thing. And I go back to those every single time. And I think within the fashion industry, they're viewed as boring. But if if people actually take a moment and look in their wardrobes, they'd realise that what they wear, if they've got a wardrobe that's got 50 items in, I guarantee that they only wear 10 of them on regularly. You keep going back to your favourites.
0: This is why I have such an issue with the expression of slow fashion because fashion is really the problem here yes this is what creates that constant need for change for new stuff and to get rid of stuff but if we just sort of focused on ethical clothing maybe conscious clothing it's hard not to get a bit wanky in the expressions here but
1: (laughs) i know what you mean completely um on the redirectory website i don't actually use the word fashion i say style um, because what I really want people to understand is whether you're looking at what you're wearing or what you have in your home. This is about you finding and developing your personal style. And it's far more rewarding to actually, and this sounds a bit wanky, go on a little bit of a journey of self-discovery and understand what you know, it is. It's true. And, you know, understand what really floats your boat? You know, why do you like certain things? You know, look at the things in your wardrobe. Why are they the most worn? Why do you keep going back to them? Understanding why you tend to certain things makes you understand your style. So we don't talk about fashion, you know, as part of the redirectory, we say, okay, find, find your style and then find those small businesses that align with your style. You know, the last thing that we want to do is replicate the hysteria of fast fashion within ethical style. And you do worry about that because sustainable is very trendy at the moment. And, um, you know, you see it a lot on social media, people who would have or do still push a lot of things about, um Kind of fast fashion retailers every now and again they'll whack in something about oh no look at this sustainable brand and it's like it's sustainable but they don't actually know what they're talking about no. because it's just the cool thing to do what we don't want is for people to start buying it like absolute craze loons because that defeats the whole object of buying more consciously you know it's okay to buy something more consciously but to over consume it is still the same issue as if you were still buying fast fashion Mm.
0: i think this is where we also need to touch on the subject of retail therapy now where did that come from and how can we take it out and shoot it
1: i blame right so from a female perspective i don't know whether you'll agree but i blame the film clueless
0: (laughs) i I think i have heard someone else say that that might be where it came from
1: (sighs) oh it is for my for my uh, generation so I'm 14 December was born in the 80s absolutely clueless was the one everybody wanted to be Reese with a spoon everybody wanted to have the wardrobe that uh, revolved round and you could um have the outfits and have one matching for your dog Hoover. I didn't have a dog then but it was literally the dream for a lot of girls because she was such a likable character and it was that thing of, okay, you can combine brains with beauty and love shopping and it's fine to be all of these things. It was like this really weird version of feminism. That's the only thing I will (laughs) say. It was bizarre. But I think that there are cultural influences out there that have, um, you know, things like those films really stand out to me. Um, as being things that have made people view fashion in a super glamorous way Um, and you see catwalks and they look incredibly glamorous you know you'd see the supermodels you know both male and female and think wow that's amazing and you know fashion almost took on whole different ball game with the 90s with the supermodels the supermodels are actually more famous than the fashion but then the fashion obviously more emphasis was on it because of these faces um and i think that's just when the hysteria just started um and it just started like a snowball rolling down a hill and it's just grown and grown and grown. And then obviously with the eventuality eventuality of fast fashion and, you know, constantly pushing price competition within markets to gain market position, it's just become this never-ending thing. And you now, you know, you've seen over the past 10 years the rise of influencer culture, um, which is every single brand's route to the loop completely. Um, and it's still incredibly aspirational because everyday men and women look at these people and go I can be just like that you know I can have my own social media page I get to 10k and I can get a swipe up if I tag enough outfits of Zara and they see me maybe they'll offer me something and that's what people do and I know plenty of people and I've watched their career in in that um, area where you know the way that they started was they would go into zara and this is both men and women and they would just take pictures in zara changing rooms and tag zara in everything it, it's true and that was their whole spin and they'd be like come shopping with me And it would just continue and continue. And these people have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers. But what they don't really, you know, being an influencer is a business. It's a very lucrative one. But they are also the complete puppets of the brands that they work with. And it's, you know, understanding that there is a way to contribute to a more positive future for fashion if we talk more about it being about style and move away from having all of these influences constantly filtering into our minds, sound a bit brainwashy there, but
0: no, I think you're on message. I think you're okay. Um, At this point, I'd like to sort of get into something that I started doing recently um, after I found this cardigan at a jumble sale and discovered the tag inside where it said romance clothing, (laughs) (laughs) i I, I absolutely adored it it made my weekend i could not get the idea out of my mind and it struck me that because there's been all this talk about buying less buying better which for many people means spending more buying the same amount or if not more because when you're buying really good stuff it probably feels even better than buying the other stuff but where can we find stuff that is our romance clothing. I'm not talking about a 20-year-old cardigan that you <laughs> jumble sale, but the whole idea of finding the really stuff that makes you feel good and that you want to wear a lot. Because I saw this infographic a few years ago, which compared buying fast fashion jackets with um, a British maid jacket. It was from Made in Britain Instagram um, website. But they'd compared buying a British made jacket that you bought and wore every day for 20 years versus buying from fast fashion companies one every season. And Mm -hmm. some came out around the same. Well, I think the cost per wear was slightly less for the British made jacket. And it struck me that that is not going to convince people because most people I think would feel better if they had a new jacket every season than wearing the same jacket day in, day out for 20 years. So, it wasn't a very ingenious marketing tactic for British-made products. But if that jacket was part of your romance clothing wardrobe, whereby it puts a spring in your step every day for those 20 years, because it makes you feel so bloody good about yourself, then you'd be onto something.
1: Absolutely. I think, do you know what? It goes back to that whole thing of working out what your style is and filtering out all of the influence around you because you know you can want to emulate people and see celebrities or whatever and go that looks amazing on them and then you want it and then actually you realize you've fallen in love with it because somebody else told you that it was really cool. The one thing I've learned is just and it doesn't have to be boring stuff or anything. It's you find, I would say, and tell me whether you agree or disagree, I would say you find your romance clothing when you find something that really fits with your lifestyle um, and with your style. And it can be so off trend completely, but you put it on and it ticks every single box in terms of form and functionality and it might have a story behind it. So like with the romance clothing, with the label, it might be something that evokes a memory. Um, So for example, I know that you've had Ella on podcasts, but the way that she talks about her makes and the memories that her shirts evoke for her and that sense of familiarity that's your romance clothing. It's something that you put on and it's got a story behind it. And I think that's when you truly fall in love with pieces. Um, I actually did a post for Secondhand September and I went through my wardrobe because I wanted to um, show people that one, old pieces are just beautiful and the fact that they have a history, whether it's in their construction or in the stories of who might have had them or of how you found them, or you know the labels that they might have come from you know they are exquisite because they've had a life that might not necessarily you have had for the entire time or if you have had it for the entire time you have worn that and shared that life with it so i have um a jacket which um is so old it's actually an old bell staff that i got from ebay and the pockets are worn through. I actually can't put anything in the pockets.
0: Um, get that fixed, you know.
1: I'm going to get it fixed, um, but I almost don't want to get it fixed because I know that those pockets have worn through because I have walked my dog so many times and dug my hands in when it's been really cold, and that that coat has been my fail safe every single time, and it has kept me dry, it has kept me warm. And it's got this beautiful patina. And that's just what floats my boat. For somebody else, it might be an immaculately tailored suit that they either um, had made or they bought off the peg or they found vintage or they might have had altered for them. But it might be something really, really smart and they put it on and they feel like a million dollars. But we really have to reconnect with our clothing and understand that it has real meaning. I think we've looked at it as a quick fix as a mood booster as an adrenaline rush in a moment to feel relevant within a society that moves so quickly but actually it's like those really um rubbish friends as you're growing up they're the kind of ones who are like oh you're cool I'll hang around with you and then as soon as somebody else cool comes along they drop you as quick as you like this is not an insight into my childhood by the way It's, it's more just an analogy
0: it was a friend a friend you know of yeah yeah it was
1: it was a horrible experience um, but it is it's that whole thing of you know you can be the cool person for a second but then it's dropped in a hot minute think of your clothes as your friends think of the fact that they are going to take a journey with you and they will make you feel amazing if you buy the right ones
0: It was interesting you should mention Ella and her clothes because I got such a massive chuckle out of um, when she was on the pod, she was talking about all her favourite clothes were stuff she'd stolen from her family. Yes. And her dad actually (laughs) got in touch with me and said, so that's where my jacket's gone. (laughs) Really? So, uh, yeah. Hi, Ella. This is the second podcast in a row where you get a mention. So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I know. She's a, Do you know what really bugs me about Ella as well? She doesn't. She doesn't wear her own shirts.
0: You outed her now. <laughs> you mentioned that you have a huge amount of really nice brands in your directory now, or should I say redirectory? Mm-hmm. Are there any you'd like to sort of pick out and talk about in a bit? Of- Oh,
1: I mean that's like picking your favorite kid, basically. That's the worst that's, question you could ever ask. That's usually,
0: usually pretty easy if you're honest about it. But uh. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so I would say, in terms of for me personally, there's um, some which um, I have a huge amount of admiration for. Um, there's one called Houlihan, which is owned by a woman called Hannah. Um, she does women's clothing um, but what she does is she takes old military wear and retailers it um, into really great jumpsuits, but also constantly looks for beautiful old fabrics and creates some beautiful pieces for women, but also styles them back really effectively with vintage and modern day pieces. So uh, she's very good at outfit building for people. and um, Ella, I mean, I know I'm going to mention her again, massive fan of her work. Her shirts are brilliant. The thought that she puts into what she's doing um, and you really, really connect to what she's doing um, and the love that she's put into it. I would also say, oh gosh, this is really hard, really hard. There's a linen brand um, called Lemuel MC so it's run by a woman called Marta she really changed my perspective on the versatility of that fabric so I knew that from an environmental perspective that linen was a a brilliant material to use but actually the year-round versatility of it and what it offers to you as a wearer if you buy the right pieces it's just incredible and she's got a very um I would say, individual handwriting, um, but she creates from the heart. So I have a huge amount of respect for her. And then there's just some brilliant businesses that are just doing classics really well. Kerry Aldo, so I don't know whether you know her.
0: She, I do, actually, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, I full respect for what she's doing. Um, growing up in the north of England you would always have an all weather jacket is probably set the same for you. I'm assuming you need like a really robust jacket. Um, it, where, where I went to university in Manchester, we would call it your fighting jacket, which was really weird. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's a football terminology, but you would always have, you know, a parka with a big hood that could keep the rain out made beautifully focused on craft. Kerry Aldo does that. And, um, I'm actually, I've, got her to do a custom jacket for me which we're working on at the moment because I'm quite tall I'm six foot and so I really struggle to find a coat that fits my proportions so I I will have a jacket from her which will be amazing Um, and then there's just some really innovative platforms so there's a lot of um, resale and circular from a kids wear perspective um, I don't have kids and I was amazed how quickly children grow (laughs) <laughs> which sounds really stupid um, but the opportunity to um, circulate kids wear which is not being worn is huge and there's some great platforms like Dota, um and the Octopus Club um, who do a brilliant job of really elevating it and who else is there Oh Moon there's a great repurposing I mean there's just so many Field Play, who do great kids wear and um, I can't actually pick any specific ones out. I mean, there is so many vintage as well. I could go for ages on vintage. Um, there is so many that I want to get on there as well. Um, it's just a matter of time of getting them on there. Yeah,
0: that well, sounds like it's worth uh, having a good look through.
1: It is. It's we've been going for nearly a year now. So I think on the around the thirteenth of November was when I put my first post up on on instagram and the website went live in february of 2021 so we've been up and running for eight months on the website we've got over 130 brands on there now which is amazing um but there's still so many more i think people don't understand the untapped potential of these amazing small businesses and if they're not on the redirectory now i will be busting a gut to get them on there put it that way
0: Hmm. and you also do a Good job with your Instagram of well, both promoting them and also explaining aspects of. I almost said sustainable fashion, but um,
1: ethical style.
0: <laughs> yes, and romance clothing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think you know it's just that whole thing of I don't ever want to be part of something that's just constantly pushing consumption. um I've been in that industry. There's so much more to it, and actually, it does a disservice to those brands to just push what they're selling without giving reason for why they're so amazing and the hard work that goes into it by also explaining the materials and the processes so we're we're about learning and evolving and supporting the right people and you can do do all of that um, and we're going to do that
0: brilliant well lee it's been an absolute pr- pleasure to have you here Thank is there you. anything you'd like to mention sort of in closing just that hasn't been mentioned?
1: I don't think so. I mean, you know, for anybody who's embarking on this journey, I feel that it sometimes feels really daunting. Um, Just take it step by step and also find your sources that you trust. Um, Find the, I would say, find positive influences. Um, I think one of the great things that I've really loved about social media is finding good people to influence you. And I think, you know, it can come from any kind of off tangent way. I mean, I found you through Sam Binstead um, and I love what you two do. One, because it gives me a male perspective because obviously I want to make sure that I'm looking at things from lots of different angles. But two, you make me think about things differently as well. And, you know, talking about your forever pieces of clothing and and s- Sam and his celebration of craft. And then, you know, there's other influencers who really um, help me understand how to be innovative and creative. To find the influencers that really float your own boat and do it in your own way um because there's no one strict way to be more considered in what you're doing apart from just stop buying loads of stuff
0: and unfollow those that are toxic and make you feel like shit
1: a hundred percent a hundred percent unfollow those suckers that's what i'm telling
0: <laughs> okay lee thanks a lot and uh, bye-bye
1: thanks so much nick
0: And that was all for this week's episode of Garmology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Uh, Thanks to Lee of The Redirectory for being my guest this week. You can find her on the web as theredirectory.com and on Instagram as theredirectory. I'll put the links in the show notes in case you didn't catch that. You can uh, listen to Gomology on all uh, podcast services. It is available everywhere. This is episode 64, I think. So if you enjoyed this, there's lots to plunder in the backlog. If you'd like to get in touch, send an email to welldressedad at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram as welldressedad. You can find my blog at welldressedad.com. And uh, yeah, I have a YouTube channel and other stuff as well. So um, if you'd like to uh, suggest a guest, uh, tell me how much you enjoyed this episode or just get in touch or even support the podcast. Do send me a mail. I'm Nick Johannesson and uh, there'll be a new episode next week. Bye bye for now.